welcome to episode 55 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Adam Boyce. Hey Tony, thank you for having me back. No problem. Uh, for those who have not um, heard, met, or otherwise seen you before, Adam, you're one of our sort of irregular co-hosts on the show. You've been on a few in the past, and uh, we've, uh, we've seen you at a couple of our events in the past as well, so it's, uh, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's really good to be back. I'm glad you're back too. Welcome. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, um, first of all, surprise everyone. It's only been two weeks <laughs> since the last episode. I know. It's great. And hopefully that's uh, the sort of pace we're going to be able to maintain going forward. I mean, I say that now. But hopefully I don't have to edit that out because it proves to be false or incorrect <laughs> for some reason. But that's the goal. Well, this should be going out two weeks after the last episode. Um, and that is because uh, this is the, the new face of Narrative Wargamer, as it were, and we're in a little more freeform now, just a bit more of a, a casual conversation, you might say. And uh, yeah, welcome back to uh, our listeners and welcome back to our viewers on YouTube, um, because that is where we are also now broadcasting. So uh, I'll be chasing Adam up after this for a, a lovely selfie per, uh, that I can put up on the YouTube uh, of him, cool. so <laughs> um, yeah, you'll for those yeah for those who are watching on YouTube, you will uh, you'll be able to see some stills of our lovely faces and uh, some information for where you can find us on socials. Um, so yeah, for, for our listeners, I am Tony Rhodes. I'm at Narrative Wargamer on Instagram, and uh, Adam, where can people find you? Uh, I am at Boise Forty K on the Instagram. And you are there regularly because you are always posting things. It seems like you have um, a very extensive uh, pile of potential, but you also seem to be cracking through it at a ridiculous rate all the time. Yeah, I always like to have something on the go. Um, yeah, I've just finished two um, Lehman Russ tanks that I've uh, have been acquired by my Gene Steeler Cult army, um, <laughs> and I'm. Um, Currently, uh, naming my Gene Steeler Cult slash Blooded slash um, Veteran Guard kill team that I've been working on over the last few months. Lovely. Um, how have you been finding the transition to 10th edition? Have you had a chance to play much yet, or is it still kind of like in project, the hobby stages? Uh, I'm still in sort of the hobby stages. I, I like the rules. Uh, been trying to read the rules and sort of digest them. Um, I'm hoping to have a game this weekend. Actually, it's not confirmed yet. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those, <laughs> but um, yeah, hopefully. Kind of hoping, maybe. <laughs> and um, yeah. is that going to be with the um, with the Gene Steeler cult? Yeah, I think so. My friends, not long. I started an orc army, and I don't feel like I got to play Gene Steeler cult too many times and. So, I really want to get into them a lot more this uh, this edition. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's fair to say the Gene Steeler Cult in particular seems to be one of the armies that have had a quite a mechanical overhaul uh, in the transition from ninth to tenth. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I, like, I think when I first read the rules, I was a little bit sort of I don't know, kind of gutted that I didn't get my blips anymore. Um, but well, not in the same re way. Rereading, not in the same way, no. But I think rereading everything and obviously seeing a few battle reports now, um, they they're doing quite good at the moment. 
Um, <laughs> possibly a little bit too good, I think. I quite liked being the underdog. Uh, and I think they're, they're up there at the moment. Um, I'm sure yeah. that won't stay that way forever. Well, it's there, always anyway. it's always changing, isn't it? By the time you get a, I, I don't think Gene Silicolts can be one of these armies that Meta Chasers are going to be jumping on because I don't think it's that easy to get a full scale Gene Silicolt army built and painted in the time it would take before <laughs> the meta shifts again. No, that's it. I, to be honest, I think I'm going to struggle to get a game in uh, <laughs> before the meta changes again, let alone uh, build and paint an entire army to. To win a few competitions. Still, I've uh, I've seen your Gene Steeler cult on the table before, and uh, they do look great. You have this whole sort of like dark, you know, horrors in the shadows sort of vibe to them. Thank you. Yeah, I was going for a bit of a, uh, I don't know, kind of necromundry kind of underhive sort of feel for them, um, rather than being on a Martian mining world. I think they. Wanted them to all be like skulking around in more of a cityscape. I think. Yeah, I think it comes across very well, and uh, I think people will be able to go see various pictures of your Gene Steeler cult over on your your Instagram. Um, but yeah, so um, it's I think it's exciting times for Gene Steeler cults at the moment. And, uh, let's say we'll see how long Ascension Day lasts, but uh, hopefully a while. <laughs> hopefully a little while, yeah. Um, but speaking of Ascension Day and uh, Big Tyranids, uh, what have your thoughts been then on some of these new Tyranid reveals that we've had recently? I just think it's great they're finally getting an update in some of the things, like the old Gene Stealer models. Um, I've got a few of those, and they they were definitely dated. Um, Actually, yeah, that's a point. Fantastic. You'll be able to bring the new Gene Stealers along to the uh, the cult, won't you? In a way, it's kind of like a, a fresh new unit for them as well. Yeah, no, they're, they're I can take them. I'm very much looking forward to buying a set and painting them up. Are you? So I'm not familiar with this part in the Ten Federals. Are you able to take any actual Tyranids as allies? In no, just yeah, Gene Stealers. Just um, the Gene Stealers and the Brood Brothers from the Ashmole Tyranny. Yeah, so I, th um, I think it might have been the eighth edition codex where we could um, mix in gene stealers. Uh, sorry, mix in turners. Um, but since ninth and tenth, um, tenth, tenth is for all is that we can take up to twenty five percent of our armies as brood brothers, um, excluding some keywords. I, I can't remember them off the top of my head. Uh, but the generic uh, sort of guardsmen. Um, all of those sort of models we can take. Fair enough. They must be. Uh, I mean, I've, I've only I've only rarely played against Gene Steeler Cult um, myself in recent years, so maybe I'm thinking of a few editions ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, as I say, I think it was an eighth. Um, but it was one of those confusing things. You could have a detachment of Nids, you could have a detachment of Guard, you could have a detachment of Gene Steeler Cult. It got a bit crazy, I think. I imagine. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I did see recently that they've, um, they've released in the recent drop of Legend and uh, Legends rules. They've given you back some rules for the, uh, the frag drill <laughs> for anyone yeah. that ha happens to own them. I know that was a an old like seven fed or eight fed Gene Steeler cult thing. I don't think I've actually seen it for sale anywhere since I've been playing Gene Steeler cult. 
No, that's the thing. Um, like, I know the Fragile's been out of production for a long time, which I think when they took it off the shelf is when they took it out of the Codex at the same time. Um, yeah. It's, it was, I just thought it was a nice touch to see that even the Gene Slayer cults still have Legends units. We got something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what about um, what about some of the other, the other interesting mid uh, reveals? Because I mean, the Gene Stealers, they look cool, nice and dynamic, um, a little reminiscent of the Space Hulk ones, with a few bits of the masonry and pipes and stuff that are jumping off. Yeah, it, um, it's um, it slipped my mind entirely what the name of it is, but that new big model, like the night size model, looks fantastic. Yes, the non emissary or the non assimilator. Right. Yeah, that looks incredible. It does, doesn't it? And it's, terrifying. It's a, it's a big it's a big nid. It's like a you know, Godzilla nid sort of thing without being yeah. a tight scale. It's that night size in between. No, it's nice to have a big model. Like it's they They've got plenty of big models, I suppose, but like to have a big sort of centerpiece, sh sort of showstopper like that is, is very cool. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the up till recently existing Tyranid range has a lot of what you would call big models from like 10, 15 years ago. You know, sort of like yeah. pre-Imperial Knights, you know, coming on the scene. Back then, your Hive Tyrants, your Venom Thropes, your... Um, horror specs and stuff those were the big monsters yeah like tank size yeah so like medium rust sized whereas now in a world of um rural dawns and imperial knights and um gorkonauts and morkonauts and so on actually the tyranids didn't really have a proper big bug anymore the bio pool needed to source some new uh, ammunition <laughs> yeah and so I, I think it's great to see you know, the, this concept of the, the non-emissaries and, and so on, um, which, funnily enough, they actually feature a little bit in the um, in the Tyrannic War Crusade book. Oh, um, right, okay. Yeah, they're actually, three that. they're actually mentioned in some of the lore, you know, like some of the uh, conflicts that happen. And they're, and they're mentioned by name, like they're explicitly named as like a trio of non-emissaries. You know, oh, cool. leading this assault, which is uh, funny that you know that book has been out for like a month or so before they revealed the models. But that's the same thing as like there's many things in the law that I mentioned by name that don't specifically have models on the tabletop. Yeah, so and they would never like, necessarily show up. Yeah, it's just like oh, it's a, people know that non queens are like the the big like. I don't think necessarily titan sized as such, but like, you know, the big thing that's off the field somewhere, the way that you don't get a, you know, the, the Astro military of like land fortress is a thing that's played. It exists in the law. It's often there on battlefields, but it's not on the tabletop. No, you'll never actually see a model. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost in a way, what you might have said um, was a Primark level thing, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yes. They exist in the law, you've never gonna see them on the table. Now we do. Oh, um, slowly. slowly coming back. Yeah. So I think the I think the non emissary is kind of this basically meant to be like, this is sort of what your non queen model would be if we were actually gonna call it a non queen, but we're not gonna so we're gonna call it something else. Nice. Um and that 
I think it's um, it, it's one of those funny things where until I sort of saw it, it didn't. For some reason, it wasn't obvious in the back of my mind that this was obviously a great idea for Tyranids. And now I've seen it, like of course they should have a big night-sized monster without having to go yeah. to the like you know um, bio titan scale. Well, they should um, just, yeah, they should be constantly adapting. So yeah, I mean, I said well maybe. Sometime last year, um, we were talking about um, on the show. We were talking about what we'd like to see as like a new Xenos race at some point. So yeah, I'd suggested this idea that what I think would complete the trifactor between Imperial Chaos and Xenos would be having a Xenos race that has night-sized monsters, like in biological beings. Um, yeah, uh, and it could be a race in the sense of like the way the Sons of Bayonet. Or an army of giants in Age of Sigma. It could just be that the the core warrior beast of this race is the size of an Imperial Knight. Um, yeah, or I, I see it. Or uh, even if it was just a just an uh, offshoot of Nids. Well, yes, exactly. It's and, just and now... knight size. They can't be necessarily taken with a Nid army, or they could just be allied one in. Yeah, and That'd be very cool. Now they've revealed like the non-emissary and the simulator. Like, of course, like you don't have to necessarily invent a new race. You could just introduce a new category of monsters of Interinids and do that. Like yeah. the night, like even today now, what um, by I think it's what about eight years on since Imperial Knights first released. I think it was twenty fifteen when they first hit the okay. scene. Yep. And now you only have three scales of night. You've got your standard like Questorus knight, and then you've got one step up and one step down. You've got Armagers and the um, um, I can't remember the the Dominus class. Yeah. So you know they could do something similar with Nids now. You can have the non-emissary and the non-assimilator, which are like the Questorus equivalents. And over the next five years, they could you know release more variants at that scale, and then you could have like. Um, you could have the dominatrix as the big non tyranid um, yeah. that's the sort of like um, the dominus class equivalent you could have something more akin to like the tyrants like the hive tyrants and so on or the neuro tyrants that are more like the armager class or even just take like um, the screamer killer or the carnifexes and have them as a, a have the shooting and the uh Attacking version of uh, sorry the melee version of the Carnifex, yeah, Tyranifex um, kind of things. And it, it's probably true that you know, like right now, you probably could create that list in tenth edition if you wanted one of the Codex lands. You should be like, I'm going to take three non-creatures, say like one emissary, two assimilators, and the rest of my army is going to be Carnifexes. Yeah, and then you effectively got Tyranid Knights. That'd be cool to see. Terrifying. Uh, We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, just I think it's a really I don't want to say obvious because that implies like it's simple, but like I just think it's a very clever, neat way to like introduce these big books, the Tyranids, and sort of fill yeah. this gap of night-sized Xenos features. Yeah, I think that'd be just as good as anyway. Like it doesn't usually. Um, well, I was going to say it doesn't usually land well when they bring a 
new race in. I don't think Tao got a good rap, did they? To start with. <laughs> and uh, um, and neither did Votan, to be honest, I think, as well, from from day one. Um, I, I, I think mean, everyone loved that it was Space Dwarfs were back, but they they well they clearly struggled with the rules getting them balanced yes. into, into the game. I, I think by virtue of having a comparatively small range, which is understandable, you know, from like initial launch, yeah, and uh, somewhat oppressive rules, um, give them a similar sort of negative um, overall. Um, reception from the community, I would say. Despite the fact, like you say, there's a lot of positive vibes about what they were, you know, the concept of them, and the fact that they existed again. Um, but I'm hoping that maybe they see a bit more of them. Um, I mean, I'm hoping they see an expansion in town. You know, very similar to the um, Sisters of Battle, how when they got their new range, they went through like two big releases and like a third small release to sort of get to where they are now as a complete range. Yeah. No, I think they're definitely due something. I mean, we've, we've just seen the new um, like Prospector character for Necromunder, who is joining the um, the Ironhead Squats gang, um, and he's sort of like a, a, a an actual like pickaxe wielding miner type, who's got um, his uh, sort of like little Arcanite drone or whatever it is that's going around surveying things to work out where the best place is to set up a mine. And um, we've, also, we've also had the one jump pack Votan in the kill team as well. So there's the concept out there of whatever their sort of like jump pack equivalent units might look like. Yeah. It'd be good. It'd be really good to see them like fleshed out more. I think they need it. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually saw um, additional variants of the Land Fortress. In the same way that we did with like the repulsor for Space Marines. Yeah, different weapons and different loadouts, and have one that's just a big, huge sort of uh, transport. And they'll inevitably be a flyer at some point. Like they'll add um, an actual fly flyer unit, no doubt. Yeah, that would be really cool actually as well. Probably, probably some kind of like hover helicopter thing. Yeah, I, since I was, I had. Um, the Mechanicus flyer sort of thing in my head, but yeah, because that, that's the thing really that's the thing that I actually do really like about the Votan law and aesthetic. And if ever I were to have an army of my own, I would lean into is less the whole space dwarves in space sort of thing, and more the this is closer to what humanity looks like during the Dark Age of Technology. You yeah. know, like this is what the you know the pre-Imperium space exploration humanity looks like. You know that sort of technology and stuff. And why imagine a Votan flyer would look like would be something that's a bit of a cross between the Admech flyer and um, those sort of like. Um, almost insectile flyers from Black Panther. You know, the ones that have got, like, the long body that sort of, like, hover vertically. Yeah, I was um, going to say the one, the, the flyers from Dune as well. You've seen that with the... They've got flappy wings. Yeah, like, I, I almost imagine them having the... A bit, a bit like the Space Marine grav packs, where they've got, like, grav fins 
on them. Yeah. But the, the, their main propulsion is a sort of like turbine. But the wing, the, the grab fins give that impression of like wings without being literal flapping wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's vaguely what I imagine they look like. And that and more um, sort of like the Ironkin aesthetic, more of the sort of uh, Man of Iron aesthetic. I'd yeah. love to see that. Absolutely. I mean, I think honestly, that's another um, race I'd love to see at some point in the future. The actual Men of Iron. Men of Iron. Because um, again, you could fill this trifactor of good have Admech, inevitably down the line, Dark Admech, and then your Men of Iron could almost be your Xenos mech. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of like race in a way. Because they, they kind of would be like, they might have been produced by humanity, but they wouldn't be humanity. No, they wouldn't have any of the same values anymore. Yeah. At all. I'd, I'd love to see that. What about, what about you? What, um, what, um... Oh, actually, yeah, yeah. One more thing uh, before I forget about it. I, <laughs> so, I do really like the new Lictors. Like, the new sort of Lictors uh, yeah. look great. Um, I, I like the flesh cape. <laughs> on the on Death Leaper. <laughs> I, I think it looks um, I think it looks cool and I think it doesn't look out of place in the animal kingdom do you know what I mean like I don't buy this vibe that it looks too much like cloves or you know I like, like why I think it looks cool yeah I, I think there's plenty of examples of you know animals that have that kind of affectation be it for camouflage or flight or any other form of stealth or whatever and you know it could be chameleonic it could literally be a little bit like a chameleon cloak you know, that, that sort of effect. Um, but I love how clearly in this release for Tyranids, in, including the contents of the Leviathan box, someone somewhere in the sculpting team has clearly cracked the idea of um, what we need to sculpt brains on Tyranids. <laughs> like, <laughs> somewhere they've got a design file where they're like, this is what a Tyranid brain is. This is a, a neural nerd and uh, it looks great. So we're just going to start putting it on everything. Like we need brains a new tyrant. Yeah, we need a new tyrant, right? Let's make a big brain tyrant, put the big brain in it. It's going to have some tokens for synapse. What should they be? Brains on tentacles. Let's make some brains on tentacles. We need a new kind of gaunt. What should it be? Gaunt with brains on their backs. <laughs> it's a pretty easy aesthetic. Uh... Yeah. We need a new type of lictor. What it should be. Do we have a brain licked yet? No? Put a brain on it. Now we do. Um, <laughs> e even the non-emissary, it's like, we need a big knight um, tyranny. It's like, cool, all right, we'll just make, make a big warrior slash high tyrant, make it knight size. We need a we need a second one, what should we do? Make a brain version. Brain bug. Uh, it's like, just practically half of, if not more, of the... Uh, the new tyranny models all have like new big brains on them and big neural lobes and all the rest of it. Which could be argued is possibly a part of these uh, these echoes of the psychic awakening. You know, all the races becoming more psychically attuned. Um, even for a very psychically attuned race like the Tyranids. I think they just uh, they find a good aesthetic and they stick with it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we've I mean, done that well. Let's just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, like 
obviously from a real world production um, point of view, I, I mean it. I genuinely think someone has sort of said they like we really like the look of this piece of uh, digital design. Like we can do a lot of stuff with it, so we're just going to use it here, there, and everywhere, and it's going to look great. And it does, admittedly. I just think it's funny how much of it there is. <laughs> It might be just um, an easy way of uh, getting a lot of units out quickly as well. They've got the file. <laughs> just slap it on everything. Slap a brain on it. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's funny how in the lore, again, in the Leviathan book, there's been more mention of um, these sort of like powerfully gothic bioships, you know, like that scale of bio being, where um, there's been some new classifications encountered in the new Tyrannic War where they are heavily like psychic nodes ships they're basically just big brains and tentacles like on the spaceship scale you know <laughs> and they are these sort of like nightmare inducing synapse ships that sort of amplify the effects of the shadow in the warp and also just have you know high psychic destructive capabilities um and now there's more and more psychic variants of you know warrior beasts being produced and I think probably it is an evolution towards the supposedly more psychically active Milky Way galaxy now that the rift uh, the great rift has all manifested itself and um because in theory chronologically this is the first invasion since like the first major Tyranid invasion since the Citrix Maledictum has split the galaxy. So presumably it has maybe had sort of radioactive effects as it were on the tyranids and they've started to mutate accordingly to evolve and um, yeah, be able to I fight absolutely. in a ephemeric field like that. That's, that makes sense to me. Especially, or either either that or uh, just the fact that there's more warp beasts and uh, general chaos -y stuff hanging around uh, that they, they've got to fight back and they, that's how they've developed and adapted yeah, because yeah, it's not something that's touched on a lot in the law because it's when it comes to conflicts between Tyranids and Demons, it's obviously not codified a lot by Imperial forces, which is what sure. a lot of the law is, you know, written from uh, the perspective of. But like Tyranids, obviously, do not enjoy fighting Demons because for them, all it is is wasted energy because there's no biomatter for them to, yeah. them to consume after fighting demons so anything that they expend in conflict with chaos entities is just purely expended energy and resources um so perhaps it could be an evolution where it's less it's less by like bio resources to produce psychically attuned creatures and it also gives them more um, ability to combat warp entities um, without having to expend so much um, biomass in the process. That makes sense. Completely quicker results. And things like um, it, it means you don't have to produce living ammunition for ranged weapons, which again is more biomass that's been expended in those conflicts. So yeah, perhaps that is it. More, more adapted for fighting demons because they just really don't like them. <laughs> um, and then about the only other thing I think is the um, the new Biovore Pyrovore kit, which yeah, is one of the two kits that yeah, that one doesn't have a brain, 
I don't think, but it was a very needed kit. Absolutely, definitely a needed kit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was probably one of the oldest, um, oldest uh, standing Tyranid models, probably in their range. I don't know. Um, I have a friend who, for the longest time, has had a gripe over the Pyrovore being the most expensive pounds to points unit in 40k. Oh, really? I was talking yeah. about that with someone the other day, actually, and I I was putting forward that it was the Gene Steeler Cult Acolytes, but... Well, so the Pyrovore um, in, like, 9th edition um, was... I don't know off the top of my head now because we removed it from the web store, but I want to say yeah. it was something. It was something like a thirty-pound model or more because it was like a sing. It's a single model, so it'd be like a character, and they're usually in the twenty to twenty-five bracket. But it's larger than that because it was still an artillery beast. Yeah. So I think it was. I think it might be like thirty-eight pound or something for like modern pirate bar. Yeah, it must be that because he <laughs> because in game they were so cheap. Because they're just like basically a single turn with a heavy flavor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they were only like thirty-five points oh, to feel wow. the pyrovol. Yeah. So it was it was literally like it's it it cost more in pounds than it did in points in game. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my argument for this, but it was more of a it's a ninth um, edition meta chaser kind of thing. Where yes. everyone wanted a small five-man squad of acolytes with no upgrades, um, and that cost about thirty-five pounds, but it was only about <laughs> 40, 40 points for the unit, and they were going to get absolutely obliterated. And they were only jumping in the back to do the bloody uh, deploy teleport homers or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how um, I think Gene Sealer Cult probably is one of those armies that is the most expensive army to actually start from scratch because you just need so many bodies to field the army because everything's so cheap in points but is like no less expensive than typically like space marine equivalents when you buy yeah, I think the that's it i think yeah price i don't know i haven't really looked into sort of the pricing too much because i'd probably drive myself mad um, but they are a great army for kit bashing. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen every Necromunda gang with yeah. uh, near fight head on at some point, um, which is good because it's it's good that they're easy to kit bash with, um, the, and the models fit with each other and the aesthetics fits with a lot of Necromunda sort of stuff. So. Yeah, that is one element that does make them great. They are brilliant for that, aren't they? Because they're, they're essentially just like any Imperial human can fit you know into a necro into either a necromunda gang or a gene stealer cult you know yeah, like absolutely. be from more or less any range um if you're not a space marine then you basically can be in one either one of those model ranges fodder for the cult fodder for a gang <laughs> yeah and i've seen like you said them both ways lots of people who've um, taken obviously Gene Sealer Cults to convert Necromunda gang because there are literally rules in Necromunda format where you can be a Gene Stealer infected Goliath mm. gang or Escher gang or whatever um, oh, cool. and and then vice versa where I've seen people take the Necromunda gangs and use them as the basis for either like 
infantry squads in Ashton Militarum, or I'd use them to be like alternate takes on Gene Stealer cults. Because maybe you don't want the, you know, uh, asteroid miner vibe that they have, and instead you want them to be farmers or scribes or gangers, you know, some other yeah. form of just imperial citizenry that have formed the cult. Uh, it works really well. But uh, that BioVore kit, um, I think that will be a good kit for um, using in non-Tyranid conversions. So where you're using it for trophies or um, okay. yeah. like um, strapping bits onto you know the vehicles and making things look like better in Tyranid fighters and stuff like that. Um, because looking at it, because it's got the sort of like spidery vibe to it and lots of the interlocking chitinous plates. Obviously, we haven't seen the sprue for it yet, but I imagine it'll be one that will deconstruct quite nicely. And yeah. you'll actually have a lot of obviously tyranid parts without just being, well, that's, that's the arm of a warrior, or that's the side of a hormigon just flailing about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I hope so. That'd be very cool. Because I've been keeping my eye on the new Tyranid releases specifically for my Death Skull Beast Snaggers. Because I want their Death Skulls, their Beast Snaggers, they're going to want to loot things, so they're going to loot beasts. And using the armor plates and stuff like that, that'd be very cool. Yeah, and I, I think that Biovore kit might be a good one for it, especially since it looks like the whole uh, sort of symbiotic construct on its back is a different piece for the biovore as it is to the pyrovore which means that you're getting twice as many parts to just use for trophy bits and armor plates and all the rest of it yeah. and uh I, yeah i think i do like be... it when they do that when they they make a, a multi-part or uh one kit that uh can be either or it uh, gives you so many bits and so many options to play around with yeah, I think that's pretty much the, the standard go-to these days for a lot of the kits, isn't it? If it's, if it's a new unit, it's usually two new units in some shape or form where possible. Like, like quite the, good at that. Yeah, things like the, the non-emissary and the um, assimilator could be the same kit. Um, at least I assume, anyway. It has to be just cost-effective for them, I guess. Like, yeah. They need to have to... Well, I guess they only have to half design two models and just get a base between them, and uh, yeah, a lot more, a lot less shelf space as well. I expect. It's often very clever though how um, how interchangeable the parts are on those kits in order to make them into um, two different units. You know exactly which parts come out and are replaced by similar but different parts in order to create the different pose or war gear or whatever. You know. It's all, it's all very It must clever, take so. a lot of... Yeah, it's very clever. It must take a lot of... Um, a lot more design expertise than I think they get credit for sometimes. Because uh, you can start with exactly the same base models. And um, even with the, the monopose kits where they've got two different weapon options or two different sort of poses, but they still start with the same base model. It's, it's quite impressive how they do it, I think. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that's actually... Another good thing they've developed in you know like the last five years or so, um, where 
you've got box sets like the Orc Commandos where, like you say, there's you can you can build ten models out of it, but actually there's like sixteen, seventeen different model loadouts, and that's because any given torso and legs combo will actually have like two or three different heads, arms, weapons, backpacks, options, which create these very different posed fighters. Yeah, they don't look wrong, and you get then you can buy two boxes and have seven, like as you say, sort of seventeen or eighteen completely different models that all look dynamic and good. Whereas I was very um, so I came back to Warhammer. I, I was played as a, as a youngster, and then I came back in the middle of eighth, and I was sort of disappointed when I saw all the new model kits, and they weren't just the Space Marine torso with the Space Marine legs and the head. Because I was like, oh, I used to like posing the arms and everything like that, uh, and having lots of different options, but they didn't ever look quite right a lot of the time um, when yeah. I was trying to make them look different. Um, they had their way they were kind of supposed to be, I think. Um, but I do, it's a mu much more of a challenge now trying to make the mono pose kits a little bit more unique each time, um, which I enjoy that challenge, but uh, they definitely, all the models look so much better now. I have to, have to hold my hands up and uh, admit that. Yeah, I, I completely agree, they do. And there's, it's almost sort of like a different skill now. And I think it's perhaps players or modelers rather who obviously been doing it for 20 years have are more stuck in their ways rather than trying to think about how to approach you know the, the new way to sort of convert change and model stuff in ways that make them varied and different like yeah i found i found this with you know the, the more recent orc kits over the last 10 years um again that commando kit a brilliant example I so I I had a box set of the commandos from the kill team release and I had some of the new orc boys from the combat patrol and because I wanted to use the various special weapons and the commando kits in other units as well as the commandos um, I wanted to be able to field a unit of 10 that didn't have the special weapons it was just 10 you know uh, slugger chopper commandos um, just getting stuck in and the way I did that was because I built um, about half the squad of commandos with the special weapons so the breaching ram, the shocker pistol, the burner the rocket launcher and everything else that meant I had the spare parts for the alternate pose equivalents on those bodies so I had you know, about 10 spare heads um, I had five sets of uh, commando combat weapons and sluggers, so like suppressed sluggers and, you know, like stealthy axes and blades and stuff like that. Yeah. And all I did was I took those arms and weapons and heads and I swapped them on the torsos of the, um, the orc boys, so the slugger chopper boys. And again, all it really was was head swaps. Um, in a lot of cases, just cutting like the pistol hand at the wrist, and then just um, putting the new hand on, and it fits, you know, perfectly fine. It's just an orc hand on an orc wrist. <laughs> it's to scale; it looks fine. Um, and the same with the weapons. Uh, some of them would just switch out, you know, the arm that they 
were using, or again, the hand or the weapon or the handle or whatever. Um, and like, one of my favorite ones, because it looks so naturally perfect like a commando, but it's not, <laughs> um, as, the base mo- as the base model anyway, is um, one of the orc boys, he's like bare-chested, um, and he's got um, like uh, a chopper in one hand, and he's throwing a stick bomb with the other. He's sort of okay. like leaning back and throwing a stick bomb. And all I did was I swapped the chopper hand. So he went from having, um, I think it's just like one of the big brutal orc cleavers to having this sort of like fireman's axe sort of weapon that one of the commandos okay. has. So it looks like a sort of like curved axe blade that's a bit more like a, a trench tool as well as a weapon. And swapped out one of the, the despair orc head for a gas mask, you know, nice. commando head. Yeah, I've... And just by making those two changes, and I think I put like the orc um, Swiss Army knife <laughs> thing, like on his belt as well, and a couple of smoke grenades and stuff like that. Again, all spare parts on the commando kit. And all of a sudden, you've got this orc who is just a bare chested orc, which one or two of the commandos are anyway. And he's got his sort of like um, stealthed blackened blade and his gas mask for infiltrating, and he's busy sabotaging because he's throwing a stick bomb. Like, nice. he looks like an alternate model commander. He doesn't look like a slugger boy who's been given some part swaps. And all that really took was a little bit of green stuff work around the neck of the head and, I think, the shoulder of the arm of the axe, and that was it. And it's not that difficult to do. All it really is is gap filling and just sort of smoothing it over, because... You know, orc anatomy is orc anatomy. It's not exactly going to match human musculature exactly the same. I mean, in, literally in the law, some of them have different arms from other orcs just stapled onto them, and then their body just kind of, you know, accepts it like an organ transplant sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I think I find the same thing. I've, I've generally I've put so many weird arms in in weird places on uh, these Gene Steeler God models. Um, because they do have extra arms every now and again, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't really do. take. <laughs> it really doesn't take that much sort of. Um, it, it's more brute force in it than anything, I guess. So you you offer it up, you you glue it on, gaps and all, and then yeah, just sort of smooth a bit of green stuff in into the gap, let it all dry. It doesn't look very good, but as soon as you spray painted it and started started um, painting it. You'd never know. Yeah. And you can do other tricks as well. Like, um, I know a lot of your genes do the cultists have um, sort of like cowls and robes and um, sort of, you know, um, these extra layers of like concealing clothing laid over them, which I assume yeah. in some cases you've used to hide, you know, some of the um, uh, messier bits of converting, you know, but then you can't see it because it's then hidden under the clothes and stuff like that. So Messy, uh, Messy converting is absolutely the diplomatic way to say it. I, um, <laughs> I wanted to make some metamorphs. Um, so they're, they're in the sort of lore, they're a bit more um, uh, sort of more deformed with bigger claws and bigger sort of weirder, not close combat weapons as such, but more like uh, mutated combat weapons. Mm. So the, the big crab claw and stuff like that. Um, 
but I wanted them to look quite a lot different to my acolytes because it's the same kit and they're in the same um, like mining clothes and stuff like that. But I figured if they've got a big crab claw or a massive like uh, lictor arm, they're not going to be integrating into society quite as well as the, the, <laughs> the guys with the mining weapons. Yeah, um, you think so the, form, I, um, the foreman might notice that when he comes onto the uh, yeah, the working shift. <laughs> Um, so I, I sort of got them. I in my head, I've got I've, I can see them as more skulking around a bit more, like the gene stealers would be, just sort of hiding in the shadows, wearing cloaks and robes and stuff like that, moving from place to place. So I actually, it's not my proudest um, conversion, but my friend likes it quite a lot. But I used the crypt ghouls from Age of Sigma, um, yes. which are a, an awful lot smaller, <laughs> but then hid that with. Um, I used actually um, baby wipes that I dried out and made cloaks for them all um, and sort of covered them in super glue and made them quite hard. Um, and they don't look too bad. They they do, if you look closely, they do look like they've got little tiny baby legs um, hanging out of the <laughs> cloaks. Um, but for the most part, you can see a body on a base with a big uh, uh, arm coming out and a, a Gene Stealer sort of esque head. Um, so I think they, they they work. They do the job for me. <laughs> you might be able to do some interesting stuff with um, some of the more uh, some of the newer um, like flesh eater court models that have come out. Then like, I know there's a couple like war bands for Warcry that have come out recently. Yeah. Some really dynamically posed um, uh, like ghouls and flesh eater court guys. Yeah, I've um, I've got my eye on a few. There's def there's one. Um, I th I, he looks like some sort of psycho guy, but he he would make a really cool um, magus. I think. I've seen a couple ah. of people do it. I think he'd only need a head swap, and it'd look great. Um, yeah, I've just had an idea for one now, top of my head. One of the newer warband leaders is one of these um, fleshy eagles. But he's he's carrying like a whole ossery of bones, like you know, from different animals and things. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's got like um, he's doing the thing where he's got like an antler rested across his shoulders, and you know, he's he's holding it one end, but he's balanced all the way along, like the weight of his his arms. Right. Um, you could take him, and if you could, you could try and swap out some of the bones for tyranid parts. You like like there's the tyranid skulls on like the skull pack and stuff. Yeah. Um, and you could paint some like t uh, talons or whatever, like they're just bone, you know, the, the flesh is all worn away. And you could have him being like in the delusional way that the gene stealer cult are, you could have him believing he's just like going around with saintly bones, like you know, saints of the Imperium sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. like the, these you are make, that sounds like, um, yeah, that's really cool. That sounds like it'd make a good sort of aberrant or abominant, like, like the big mutant guys. Yeah, just being like, you know, I, I, I have the bones of uh, some bones from one of the saints of the forearmed emperor, you know, sort of thing. And he's treating it with as much um, like reverence and um, um, decorum as like an imperial preacher would do for some other saintly relic. I like that. That sounds really cool. I have to look out for that guy. I've um, the the Lehman Russes that I've just converted for the guard. I've, uh, sorry, for the cult. I've put a I think it was a effects head. I bought a load of bits a long time ago and I've just had these big nid bits I'm just sitting around in my bits box not knowing what to do with. 
and I figured I'd wrap one up as as um, my my thought behind it. It's got it's wrapped on it. It's, it's attached to the tank, and it's kind of still got blood trailing out the end of it. Um, but it's my thought is that because one of the big beasts has been shot down in battle, um, they couldn't bring the whole body with them, so they just brought the head as it's kind of like it's still in battle with them and it's still um, joining them with the battle. And I guess um, it still has its sort of uh, memories and experiences that can then be reabsorbed by the uh, the high fleet again. See. In bags and stuff, you're like you'd have to name like that Lehman Russ. You'd have to name the tank something like Old One Eye or something like like they've some yeah. part of their subconscious is sort of like linked this idea of a myth or a legend or you know some little um, link to the hive minds. They in their mind they're just like, well, this is clearly our you know our unkillable Carnifix tank. You know, yeah, that's them. They've they've taken on the myth. <laughs> Hopefully, it will uh, actually be an unkillable tank. So I, I do think that that's actually some of the um, some of the more interesting little pieces of law with the Gene Stealer call. Um, when you have particular um, what they called um, sects of the cult, which yeah. are, are like cells, um, which they they move off world when either. It become it's seemingly apparent that um, like some cults will be ready to rise up for Ascension Day a long time before any actual Tyranid fleet is nearby. So they've basically already got the government all under thumb. They've already got all their insurgent agents in all the major branches of the military and you know um, all the other parts of the Imperial Society. They're basically already in control. But there's no need for them to rise up and formally overthrow the planet because there's no high fleet around yet, you know, waiting to basically come by and pick them up. Yeah. Um, and if they did overthrow the planet, all that's going to happen is eventually Imperial Retribution is going to come to like any revolt, you know, revolting Imperial world. They're just rebelling in general. It doesn't matter that they're cultists, they'd just be seen as an, a citizen a, um, rebellion or. Yeah, or a um, an imperial governor who's gone rogue. It would just be this idea of like, oh, that planet needs bringing in line to send some, you know, military force to kick it back into shape. <laughs> so, because they are not red, there's no profit, as it were, to them actually rising up. They start to make other plans, which will be things like trying to send out sleeper cells to other worlds, trying to start dispatching out um, gene stealers. Uh, like pure strains out on you know cargo ships and cargo runners to other um imperial facilities and start spreading the court even further yeah. and sometimes that can mean that you could end up with uh groups of genes that are cultists who might have uh, what's, the, what's the word for it they might say come across another world where there's been some tyranny invasion but it's been defeated so then there might be remnants or dead tyranids or like say the bones of some and uh or they might find that while they're out trying to infect other worlds they might pick up some of these you know uh other bits from research ships or stations and so on so they can come by bits of tyranids as these sort of mythical star beings to them without having yet encountered an actual fleet 
yeah, without being devoured themselves, they can. Yeah. They can... Yeah, no. And, that's, and, that's and then you can, you can end up with your sort of emissary who's going around being like, I've managed to collect some of these relics of, you know, the star children, even though they've never yet seen one, and they're starting to sort of use them to prophesize about the foreign emperor to other worlds when they get there. Yeah, I do. I, I just think they've got such a cool, like, I don't know, background and everything. I finally listened to Ascension Day. Uh, recently as well which is a really cool um book it's about um like an admech world and the cult yeah, okay. uprising and everything like that and the, the final sort of um bit is that it's that sort of similar concept of uh of you we've got this planet now so uh, move off uh, you, you're gonna have to go and uh, spread the word somewhere else yeah that's really interesting i think it's um it's always really funny as well hearing about how gene sealer cults will try and emerge in other xenos races as well not just human like they yeah a lot with like the chaos cults human gene sealer cults crop up simply because they're very susceptible to corruption um being because of um they're more genetically um manipulable or because they live under imperial dogma and actually it's not very hard to convince you know a number of citizens that there's a better way to live than yeah. <laughs> under the imperium's rule and so on um and as much as we... the imperium rules with an iron fist it's not actually that caring of its citizens and doesn't actually pay that much attention to the average joe uh, yeah, in the in the in the hive city if anything, the Imperium is actually quite a, a more an embodiment of um, the greater good than the Tau are, because the, the Imperium as an entity, like as a species, it's all very much about keeping the Imperium going, but yeah. at no care or cost or value placed on the individual. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's not so much through, you know, um, selfless self-sacrifice or pledging to the cause it's more the fact that you're told to get in line or else <laughs> um which small tangent um the thing with the um the, the tau being the fact that you know a lot of people often make the joke about them being space commies you know like space communists <laughs> like yeah that's not that's not what they are at all um like space like communism is about the common good not the greater good so that's all about trying to make sure that actually everybody has as much of an even and fair experience as everyone else in society and the tau are absolutely not that they live in a segregated society with a caste system where everyone is assigned specific roles and basically has a mapped out um you know life and career and role in society all towards the greater good which is a thing, but that's actually that's more Marxism than it is communism. Yeah. <laughs> just a small thing that just gets me when people talk about Tao being space <laughs> communists. They're really not. They're the opposite of no. communism, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, easy to jump on the bandwagon, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But for, funnily enough, that's one of the reasons why um, the Gene Sealer cult really struggle to um, infiltrate Tau society because they have such a structured caste system 
it's yeah. really hard for anything that doesn't conform to that to sort of exist within the Tal society. They're being monitored all the time, and there's, there's and yeah, no we, there's no just way to just go under the radar and do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, and one of the things that's fundamental to the genes to the cult is the fact that um, the Tau actually live by a breeding program as well. They don't yeah. have um, they don't have just naturally occurring generations as such. Like for one thing, the um, like the Tau casts they don't mix casts. Like you know they don't interbreed within their own caste system, um, and so even then the genes to the cult's only really gonna um, propagate in one aspect. The Tau society if it was gonna do it, and the, <laughs> which is problematic because. The most likely one I suppose to get into would be the water cast because that's the diplomats and the politicians and and that that's great for them to sort of get their, you know, corrupted agents into that system. But it's no good if they don't have any sway over the actual military assets because they have nobody in the fight cast. That's it. We need to be everywhere, not just uh, not just in one aspect of society. Um but it does happen. There are some instances in the law of like how use dealer cults. But again, I imagine I imagine that would be more sort of like a far sight enclave scenario where perhaps the ethereals in that part of society have all died out or been killed or lost or not replaced or whatever. And when the ethereals go, that's when the boundaries of the caste system start to come down a little bit. Um, yeah. So perhaps if it's more like a frontier Tau settlement where they're not in contact with the, the core worlds, they don't get you know reinforcements and replenishments as often, and necessity becomes the case that members of the Earth cast have to start fighting with the Fire cast a bit more, and you know then eventually the, the caste system slowly degrades a little bit in that scenario. I think it's just hard for them. I think as you said before, it's it's really easy to to infiltrate human society but everywhere else has got their own little quirks which makes it very very hard to actually infiltrate i've heard the orcs they've tried the orcs and they they (laughs) just instant they just instantly know that you're weird so they just get murdered for being odd yeah they get in with the rest (laughs) They basically get bullied. <laughs> they, they, yeah, it, it's sort of like a self-regulating um, societal system there. It, it's literally like, in this case, to their advantage to basically ostracize and cast out anyone who is different and a bit weird. And yeah. you know that that's just how orcs manage to actually you know keep things in order in their own organized chaos. That is the anarchy of orc culture, um, but. There are some examples in the lore again of um, genes that are called orcs. They, they, they're a thing which back in, I don't necessarily want to say second edition, it might have just been Rogue Trader, I can't remember, but you did have gene stealer cult orcs and you did have chaos corrupted orcs. Uh, I've seen it, some um, gene stealer cult orc models, like not official, um, but someone's modeled them, they look very cool. Well, there was some. Um, as close to official conversions as you get in that there was some um, white dwarf articles about converting them um, a couple uh, of years ago. They were like teaching you how to do it. Yeah, because it was taking the uh, Art Commando kit and I think possibly the hybrids um, and mixing the parts. 
because um, it was it was during the Octarius War, uh, Warzone books that sort of time period, and there was um, some lore in there about um, uh, Orc Gene Stealer cults, which again only got so far, but they did manage to sort of form a bit of a, a tribe, and they were um, a military force for a while in Octarius. And <laughs> there's an old piece of lore about um, there was one cult which. As as it, it is wont to do, it sort of repurposes the existing mythology and gods of the cults of the people they're trying to infect. So, like, you get the four-armed emperor. Well, there was, um, uh, I think there was four-armed uh, Gork and Mork <laughs> uh, in their cult, and they had, um, they, they built a, uh, a stomper, but it was built with four arms and it was painted purple. Amazing. And it was, um, it was, fu- it was full of Pierre and Gene Steelers. <laughs> like it was obviously like manned and operated by some of the, the cult orcs, like the cultist orcs, but uh, it was in a battle against some imperial force, or whatever. And when they destroyed this um, big purple stomper, it sort of cracked open and loads of gene stealers came pouring out of it. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> some some brilliant old stuff in there. Some of the lava does, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard anything about um, Eldar being tainted by um, the genes of the cult. And I've heard them, it's because of their because they're just psychers everywhere. Uh, well, they they just they can just sense trouble. Uh, yeah, there's partially that because, but I also think the fact that on a purely genetic level, it would probably they probably wouldn't have any trouble with it, like. The gene stealer um, DNA, as it were, would still be able to corrupt and manipulate and mutate Eldar biology as much as it would a human or any other being. The trouble is that the mutation only comes along on a generational basis, and Eldar generations are so few and far between. Like, it takes, um, you know, it it takes a cult of humans a couple of centuries, doesn't it? typically in the law to go from first points of infection to being uh, like having pure strains and the full cult and control of a planet more or less ready to go yeah so if that's a couple of hundred years you're talking somewhere in the region of 15 to 20 no 10 to 15 generations maybe you know like 200 years um Whereas Eldar, like one generation, is a couple of hundred years. So it's going to take thousands of years for a cult to propagate through the generations required. But then again, you see, then again, I could imagine there might be a craft world out there somewhere where it's been in isolation for so long. You know, maybe, uh, maybe the craft world's um, webway portals uh, failed and had to be sealed. The craft world itself still fine and functional but they just did, didn't have webway access and as such they had to actually trawl through space like through real space the whole time um and they could have ended up being an isolated like um uh, what's the word not environment um where is it ecosystem that's the word i was looking for mm-hmm. like what uh, they could become an isolated ecosystem of elder generations which it could survive in and then when that craft world eventually comes into contact with 
other Eldar, it'd be a conflict then because they'd be the actual genes sealer infected Eldar versus the Eldarian. They probably wouldn't last long, but it could be doable. <laughs> That's the cool thing about the 40k universe, isn't it? That you can basically bullshit any sort of uh, story and like, you can you can make anything happen if you want to. You can figure out your lore and you can figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, like it, as much as they have been pushing more an advancement of the story these days, it's still very much a setting. And yeah. there's so many things that can happen within that setting. Um, and so many justifications for all of it. Um, that not everything, you know, has to be unique and special. But also, there's kind of like the potential for anything. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I, I love it so much. Like, I mean, say tonight with, you know, I didn't particularly expect to dive deep into the sort of <laughs> lore of Gene Steeler cults and how they affect the different races of the, of the galaxy, but there you go, we have done. That's the beauty of these casual conversations. It can go anywhere. <laughs> um, but I suppose to sort of bring it back to some relevance of uh, topical 40k uh, conversations, how about we uh, we touch briefly on what seems like the first round of legending for the various Space Marines and the Firstborn? I know. I'm so sad. I think um, the writing's been on the wall maybe for a little while. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to see um, that it, it looks like this is the first phase of what will be many phases of the however many years now with that um but yeah so in the last what couple of days the walk on article went up basically announcing that a bunch of um sort of like edge units you know within the uh, the space green codex are going to start getting trimmed and moving to legends notably obviously all firstborn in origin um and it's not not quite getting rid of tactical squads yet but they are moving a number of things to Legends and they're going to be on last chance to buy and we'll soon be in the realm of uh, eBay hunting if people want to acquire them in the near future. That's it, I think. I think they're, they're things that you can quite clearly see that have been upgraded. Like the the, the bike squad and the land speeder, like they've got a new Primaris variant now really. Um, not quite the same all the time, but... Very similar. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so we've got basically all the bikes, like the attack bike, bike squad, scout bikes, um, the land speeder and land speeder storm, um, the ironclad dreadnought, which um, I believe, I'm, I might be mistaken with this, but I believe didn't the standard box dreadnought not make it into 10th? Did not get an index card. Um, it, um, no, but it's. I think it's all. I think they said in the article that it's all rolled into the venerable. Yes, basically they've kept. It sounds like when the um, space marine codex drops, there's only going to be one non Forge World, non Redemptor chassis dreadnought. Yes. 
and that will encompass basically all of the old dreadnoughts so the box dread the ironclad the venerable because the idea is at this point <laughs> if it is a dreadnought of that uh caliber then it is a venerable i mean i'm i'm interested to see if this means that when the space wolf codex drops are we finally going to see Pomyra-sized Bjorn, the Fellhanded? I would love to see the first character Redemptor Dreadnought. I really hope so, because um, that would be a big shame to lose Bjorn. Yeah. I, while I am all for the idea of actually moving some characters to um, either them dying in law, sort of like, you know, Yarrick, has done in, in, in the last yeah. year or so. Um, <laughs> I'm also the certain ones which I feel like it's part of their story. The fact that they just don't die. Like Dante is a prime example. Like if if they were going to have any character, I think from any of the chapters actually die, attempting to cross the Primaris Rubicon, or otherwise just die and not ever make it to be no Primaris. I think Dante would have been a good opportunity to do that, but it's so built into his character that he just will not die. Not through stubbornness, <laughs> just like he wants to die at this point. He's that old <laughs> um, and sort of just withered with it. But it's that whole, you know, sanguineous um, sort of uh, fated to die at the appointed time, you know, thing. And it's never been Dante's time as yet. Um, yeah. So he just keeps going. And Bjorn, I think, is the other one who he, he's similarly just been like, I never, I never wanted this. I never wanted to be the one guy who's still <laughs> here ten thousand years on when the rest of the Legion, as he knew them back in the days of the Heresy, were all gone. You know, he's the one lone warrior who never got his warrior's death, and instead just has to keep going on yeah just keep going on despite the fact he just does not want to um and <laughs> as part of that i i think he, he needs to get a redemptor model i would love to see um redemptor beyond and just also just, just knowing how pissed off he'd be about it it's just like oh come <laughs> on just let me die <laughs> yeah i think yeah that would be a fantastic model um yeah, I'd love to see redemptive characters. I don't know. Do you think we'd get a librarian redemptor for Blood Angels? Or do I don't think we'll get it that? yet. Um, I think... So, basically, um, 10th edition seems to have been the opportunity now to expand the chassis of the redemptor. Because, basically, what well, the redemptor has been around since 8th edition. And it yep. wasn't until the back end of ninth when we got the Brutalis that we saw any variation on the Redemptor. And now we've also got the Ballistas as well. So we've got like the core three variants of the Dreadnought. We've got Punchy Punchy, Shooty Shooty, and Punchy Shooty. Yeah. <laughs> what more could you um, want? Yeah. So I think they're probably going to just sit on that for a little while now and it will probably be another two years maybe before we see 
the next iteration. But I think the next, I mean, apart from obviously what I just said about how I would love to see Bjorn done with the Space Wolf Codex. <laughs> but I'm only saying that because I think, and correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, but I think Bjorn is the only Codex instance of a special character Dreadnought. I know there's a couple in Forge World and stuff like that. Um, um, actual character, yeah, but there's yeah. like the Space Wolf, Wolf, and Dreadnought. Oh, there is Murder well. Fang, isn't there? Yeah, Te technically he's a special character because, of course, you yeah, know, Space Wolves have more special characters than they have characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so if you if you discount Murder Fang because he's also another space. And to be honest, Murder Fang is what I could see going away. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. think he could he could be dropped in the range and no one would complain. Not really. Whereas I if, if Beyond was dropped in the range... Yeah, yeah or talked about. Like, Even if no one uses it, they'd be furious about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't think there's any main codex line special character Dreadnought in any of the other books. Um, I think, think so. I'd say... You, I know there's like um, there's the Salamander one in the Forge World rules. There's there's Cullen, the Risen for the Red Scorpions. Um, I think there's a Minotaur's one as well. Um, but again, that's all getting into the the realm of Forge World. So Bjorn is the only one who I think would need it in the near future, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But. Outside of him, we've started to see in ninth Primaris units for um, chapter specific uh, chapter specific armies. So the Black Templars are the main example of that getting specific Primaris units. Like they got the Crusader squad, they got the Sword Reverend, um, they briefly got the Infernus Marine <laughs> as unique to them. But <laughs> now he's everywhere. Um, and then you've had some smaller examples and things like the Hounds of Morkai for the Space Wolves, uh, but you've also had yeah. like the Death the Death Company intercessors for Blood Angels. Um, I think. I mean, we know now we're not we're presumably not going to see Primaris Deathwing as such for Dark Angels because they'll just be the new Terminators. They yeah. might do it. They might do a Deathwing kit in, at some point, but obviously, might Terminators do an upgrade kit, maybe. Yeah, Terminators are now just Terminators. They don't need to be Primaris or not, sort of thing. So effectively, all Terminators have now just been Primarisized. Yeah, you can um, still use your old Deathwing ones. Yeah, it's a bit shorter. So it'd be interesting to see. Like, Blood Angels just need the generic Primaris Assault Marine first before they even start looking at getting things like Jump Pack Death Company and Sanguinary Guard. So we just need that first of all. Which, interestingly, the Assault Marine is one of the units going to Legends. Yes, very true. Um, and we know we've seen, like, not just concept art, but like working game footage from Space Marine 2 of Primary Space Marines with jump packs. Yeah. We we now have Dante and Strike um, from the Raven Guard as physical models that exist with jump packs. 
Uh, and that's without touching on things like the Inceptors and the... Um, uh, what are the guys with the auto cannons called? Suppressors. The suppressors, yeah. Yeah, like technically they are jump units, they're just not the assault jump units that people are clamoring for. Um, I feel like so, that's got to be the next sort of thing. Like, for Space Marines, I, it's not necessarily for everybody, but I think the next Space Marine big sort mm. of unit release must be that. But. As for the Dreadnoughts, I feel like a Def Company Dreadnought is basically just the Brutalis with a small upgrade sprue. It's basically just a Blood Angel upgrade sprue. Yeah. Just somehow put a skull face on it. Some fancy um, stuff. Yeah, give it um, some mag grapples on the, the hole and your sword. That, that's a Def Company <laughs> one. Um, I think you're more likely to see that than seeing the librarian one anytime soon. Yeah. But maybe that's the way, though. Maybe that's the way they'll go is uh, upgrade sprues for the Redemptor mm. or something like that. So you can have a Bjorn, you can have a Def Company, and you can have a librarian. Be not, maybe. Bjorn is not going to be an upgrade sprue. You can't yeah, do Yeah, no, you're right. You, you can't. <laughs> Well, just by virtue of being a space wolf, you don't get upgrades through <laughs> to space wolves. What you get is wolves on wolves on wolves. <laughs> you'll, you'll have a wolfy faceplate and frost claws and wolfy shoulder pads and a Viking shield, and you'll have clawed feet and you'll have like howling wolf head exhausts on the backs of his armor. Yeah, and lots of fur everywhere. Lots of fur and runes, like every surface will be covered. Because you can't, can't not do it. No, you're um, right. I take it back. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Although, um, I I feel that with the Space Wolves, they might be the first instance where we actually get a significant character death for a Space Marine. Because I think, while everybody talks about, obviously, Dante is looking for his, his glorious death, his final moment, uh, you know, his meaningful contribution to the end of his life. I think we're going to get that from Logan Grimnar before we get it from Dante. Yeah. I think Grimnar is going to be the one to somehow, for whatever reason, end up um, sacrificing himself or honorably defeating something at the cost of his own life in order to somehow facilitate the return of Russ. And then um, Russ will be back and then they'll put either. <laughs> Bjorn or Ragnar in charge of the chapter as the chapter master. Because he'll, he'll either be the council or decide that, like, well, Ragnar's basically been, you know, um, flagged to be the next great wolf for a long time now, just waiting for Logan to um, get killed gloriously by something. Um, or Ross is going to come back and he's going to be like, hey, Bjorn, you're the only guy I know. You're the only one I still <laughs> trust. I'm gonna put you in charge. <laughs> like, why are you not in charge anyway? You like you, you, you're still one of the original legionnaires. Like you, you're You've still one of the, yeah, you're one of the company of Russ. Why are you not in charge of the chapter of Russ? <laughs> <laughs> and then you end up with because that will give him a suit, a suitably um, a, an excuse to have a suitably fancy model. Be like, this is the uh, the chapter master dreadnought that leads the space wolves. 
alongside yeah. their returned Primark. Which I... Well, I don't know. It's not a rumour at all. It's a fan theory, if anything. Uh, that they'll, He'll come back with uh, Primaris Wolfen. Yeah. Well. Come back with the 13th Company and all the Wolfen and debates over whether or not he's going to come back half Wolfen or not, you know. Is, is that going to be his gimmick? And, you know, and if it is, what part of the Emperor's armour slash weapons has he got? <laughs> Gulliman's got the sword, Lion's got the shield, what's Russ going to have? Is he, is he going to have the claw? Is he going to have the, the Emperor's claw? And that'd be why, because he's the wolf, so he, he would fight with the, the claw of the Emperor. I've heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Interesting. But yes, um, our somewhat starting to get into fan theories about the Space Wolves <laughs> somehow. Um, I, I think it's just worth noting that it seems like this is the, the start of the end for what was apparently this 10-year plan to phase the, um, the first-born Space Marines out and transition them to the new Primaris range. I mean, we saw Primaris originally in 2017, I think it was, was when they hit the shelves. Um, and supposedly the design studio works about two years in advance. So if they started things moving in 2015 with a 10-year plan, then perhaps the conclusion of that is 2025. And if this is the first part now where they've got a fully fleshed out Primaris range that's big enough to exist without the inclusion of any of the original firstborn units. Maybe now and over the next two years, we start seeing every six months, more units move to Legends, more units move to Last Chance to Buy. And two years from now, they are all Legends. Yeah, I think, yeah. It's a shame, but I think it's happening. I mean, I don't know what Dave's going to play. <laughs> He'll be fine. He'll just play narrative. <laughs> He'll, yeah. never play... He'll never be playing match play. To be fair, yeah, it's um, it's something where um, to sort of uh, sort of finish up for tonight. Then it's worth mentioning that um, I have previously in the events that I've run not allowed legends units just for the simplicity because it was smaller numbers of units doing more sort of specific things for certain armies it was a, a smaller range of things but now if legends is going to start expanding to be a larger range of the games workshop back catalog it might be that at the narrative events that i run i might start allowing legends units so people can turn up with their first born space marine army if they want because, I mean, certainly for our events, one, I don't see Legends units ever particularly being broken or overpowered. Um, and two, that. if need be, as the event organizer for a narrative event, people are still submitting lists to me. I can probably just nudge them and say, maybe maybe don't bring the whole broken, you know, triple Leviathan dreads led by a chaplain dreadnought. <laughs> We've... Bring, bring one of each. Feel free. Have your chapter dreadnought. Have a Leviathan. Maybe you don't need to have a, a Wrecking Ball unit built out of these um, Legends units that no one's going to see coming. <laughs> we'll see. I'm but yes. Um, 
uh, I suppose uh, if you haven't already seen by this point some of the announcements on social media and so on, then um, for those listening and those watching on YouTube, please be aware that uh, the Echoes of War, the narrative wargamer event that was postponed from earlier this year, is now um, back on general sale for tickets and will be taking place on October 14th and 15th later this year. So there'll be links in the description below for this, but um, you'll be able to go have a look at the event pack and buy tickets for the event from um, tabletop events uh, if you're interested. Um, I know we had a, we had um, a large amount of interest from people over the summer who just couldn't make it to our original dates, unfortunately, and a bunch of other logistical issues came up as well, actually, and we had to postpone it, but I think it's been for the better, actually, and it seems like we're going to be having um, a much better time of year to be holding it, and we're now in 10th edition as well, because we were right on the cusp um, of it being either 9th or 10th, depending on when the release date dropped, so... Uh, I've had a chance now to adopt the, um, not adopt, adapt the uh, event pack to 10th edition rulings and uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun putting it together and I'm really looking forward to it. So um, I'm sure we'll talk about it probably on another episode uh, before long, before the event. Um, so yeah, we'll probably do a, a post-event episode as well. Um, I think that's uh, that's just about everything. So. As always, if you have enjoyed this, then please do give us a like and subscribe here on YouTube or on the podcast platform of your choice. And it all helps us uh, grow the uh, the channel and helps us develop everything that we're producing and putting out more content for you guys. Um, we do have a Patreon. Again, links below. You can go check that out. You can go support us on there. Help us um, really support the show with um, everything that we need to just keep things running because seems like I'm going to start paying for Zencaster as well now. <laughs> just a, another, yeah, just another platform uh, we need to run the, the show, um, which I don't begrudge. We've used it for years since um, lockdown for free, and um, they have a good product. So I'm, I'm going to start paying for it now since they're asking us to. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing that the Patreon can help us with. Um, and yeah, also, if you do want to support us, uh, you can do by going and using our affiliate links below to buy all your Warhammer supplies and um, models and everything else from Element Games. That way, if you use our affiliate link, we just get a little kickback from any sale that we get through Element Games, which is like, it doesn't cost you anything and it helps support us. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's about everything. So just once again, before we go, um, Adam, where can people find you on socials? Uh, Boyc40k on Instagram. Uh, thank you very much for having me again, Tony. Very fun. No problem. I'm sure we'll have you back on again in the future. I'll, uh, I've got a whole little uh, rotor of uh, co-hosts that come and join me on the show. So for those of you who are perhaps discovering us for the first time on YouTube, then look forward to discovering our various hosts and friends of the show as we go forwards. Um, so yes, thank you again, Adam, for coming back. It's been lovely catching up with you and talking 10th edition and Gene Steeler Colt and... Baseball theories. No worries, same same. Thanks for having me. No problem. So yeah, um until next time guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play Fossey Games.